Welcome to episode 7 of the Lost on the Run with Larissa podcast. Today's episode is with Dan Fitzgerald, the co-founder of Heartbreak Hill Running Company, as well as the founder and the coach of the Heartbreakers. Dan ran track throughout high school and in college at Boston College as an 800-meter runner. Dan's love of running and connecting people has led him to open three Heartbreak stores in the greater Boston area, as well as one location in Chicago. His new innovative ideas to enhance the running experience is a huge reason why Heartbreak is known around the country and even around the world, and it was a great pleasure talking to him. So, basically, I just want to talk to you about, like, Heartbreak and, like, your entrepreneurship stuff, but also your own running. So, why don't we start at the beginning? So, like, when did you start running? You know, we had to do gym class miles, I think was my first intro to running. I was a Boy Scout when I was a kid, like Cub Scout, Boy Scout, and um, would play this game called Relivio, I remember, at camp, and um, I was in, like, I did it when I was in sixth or seventh grade or so, and I remember being able to run away from some of the high school kids who were on the track team, so that just sort of, like, started to spark my interest, like, okay, I'm probably going to run track if, if I can run with or away from these kids, or guys at that point, they felt way bigger and older than me but only a couple of years older maybe and then we did a timed mile and i think it was eighth grade and i was uh like second in my junior high for the time mile and the, the first place uh person was a gal who was a year or two younger than me i remember and she came from like a track family and my family didn't really have any runners but those were some early uh, indications that I, I would run um again like my parents didn't run or anything like that i just had uh other people around town who I had seen, you know, I was playing basketball and uh, that was my primary sport. So when I got to high school, I played soccer, basketball and track, um, track in just the spring. And I did that all through high school. Uh, but that was definitely very clearly where my skills were. I was a terrible soccer player. You know, I was captain of the basketball team, but we were a terrible team. And in the grand scheme of things, probably also a terrible basketball player. <laughs> um, but um, running, it was clear. Uh, just with the one season that that's going to be where my, my future was, you know, my, my initial introduction to running was, um, you can even hear it in the memory is, um, related to competition. You know, I was evaluating where I was relative to other kids. Uh, and then obviously in track and field, you know, there's sure it's famously the place that there are no cuts, but I was definitely on the side of, you know, running, um, varsity sprints right away and and wanting to push and do well and um running for me was uh in its initial phase um highly related to uh competition and and trying to win maybe i'm wrong but you ran in college right i did yeah i um earned a partial track scholarship to boston college Um, so did you after college did you jump right into like working in the running industry or did you do other work before that when i was a junior in college we had a new coach take over the 800 meter group and her name was michelle abe she uh, was a professional 800 meter runner for a6 at the time uh, kind of finishing up her career so this was in 99 2000 she was my coach and then uh 2000 2001 so my junior and senior year the summer after my junior year i worked with her to do all of her pace work in preparation for the olympic trials really fun for me to have that really uh, intimate exposure to the professional runner's life uh, and that was pretty formative for me um, thinking well maybe at that point i thought maybe i'll try to run more seriously after 
uh, college and um, uh, went through junior year, had a, had a good year. It was my first year I started to get my legs under me. Uh, senior year uh, started off great. I ran my lifetime PR of the 800 on uh, the first meet of the year. Of course, um, first indoor dual meet and it is actually my lifetime 800 meter <laughs> PR, you know, running a 152 um, indoors by myself in December usually means you'll run 148 no problem by the time you get out, outdoors. <laughs> the season didn't, uh, didn't pan out the way I, I wanted exactly. And um, when I finished, I, I kind of looked at what was out there and, and the running landscape has, has certainly changed a lot over the past 20 years in terms of opportunities and types of clubs and that kind of thing. But as, as somebody who wanted to really compete and win at the highest level, I felt like I didn't qualify for nationals at the division one level. Um, you know, that's basically kind of your Olympic trial standard, uh, it's usually pretty close to, um, division one national standards. Uh, it's a lot of the same runners, obviously, but you know, college only encapsulates a four year, um, window of athletes, right. Uh, at any given time. So, um, what I mean by that is it's all people for the most part aged 18 to 22, right. Mm-hmm. And then the people who are at nationals, when they when they're 18 to 22 are still going to be going to um, professional nationals and all that when they're 23 24 25 26 27. so so the talent pool is just so much fiercer uh, on the professional side or right? I just looked at it and I said if I'm not gonna I'm not gonna make an impact in, at the university level um, this pool is only getting tighter and faster and, and I don't I don't know that I would actually make an impact so for me it was kind of like why why bother? You know, my, my, at that time in my life, the only thing I cared about with regard to running was winning. You know, there was never a race I entered where I was uh, looking for anything else. I mean, it would be a PR or a win, and that's it. I didn't consider anything else in racing. And, you know, given my, my history at that point, I was like, well, why, um, why continue racing then, period, uh, end? And uh, when it came to graduation, I, I felt like I wasn't really sure what I wanted to do, to be honest. So I, I uh, thought coaching would be something that, that was my primary drive. Um, I said I don't, didn't know what I wanted to. I wanted to get into coaching. I knew that. And, um, and I, at that time, also just wanted to coach at the university level for athletes like I was. And um, had the opportunity to coach at BC and, and take over full reign of my former 800-meter group. So I coached the men's and women's. Uh, 800-meter um, section, and that, that was really fun. I could do whatever I wanted in terms of workouts. I did that for a year uh, while at the same time uh, working at the Runner's Edge, which was a single-store independent run shop in Melrose, Massachusetts, and just did that for a year, and then I got a job at uh, Quicksilver, uh, the surfing company, and detoured out of running uh, and coaching for seven years, and, and uh, I just went into the surf industry it's cool that you were in that you did something other than running because I feel like I've talked about this with a few people is that when pe- I think when people go like they run all the way through college and then they go straight into running you can get burned out so I think that changing your path for a little bit is good. Yeah, I mean for me it was always about basketball and uh, the Philippines with John G because we had Connor our general manager of of the Boston stores <laughs> went on a went to be a model for for their shoot there and. Uh, I made the joke in that blog about the fact that I considered myself more of a failed basketball player <laughs> until age like 35. And, you know, I really felt like 
I felt like that in in college. Yeah, yeah but you know, basketball was much more um, the where my interest lied. I was not uh, someone who loved running. I loved competing, and I loved athletes and sport. And uh, running was just the the one that where I had the you know um, personal competitive advantage relative to my my other skills. You know, when I got through to college and. Uh, it was funny. I did not expect to have this chat with uh, Jerry Schumacher when, when I did that interview with him, the mm-hmm. uh, founder and coach of Farm and Track Club. Um, when he said he got to college and he didn't know who Steve Prefontaine was, um, I was shocked because uh, that's exactly how I felt. I felt like an alien when I got to college because there, people know, know knew all these names. Like there were guys on my team who were so educated on the sport of running who had done cross-country, indoor track, and spring track for for years and years and years before they got to college. And for me, that was my first introduction to running three seasons, to knowing anything about history of, of the sport. You know, I knew of Michael Johnson was, you know, my primary track and field inspiration, and I didn't run the two or the four, but or Bernard Legat as well. He was 1,500, uh, also 5K, but for me, it was more like 5K was such a novelty at that point in my mind. He was, track was sort of the... Uh, place I excelled and not not even the, the primary primary driver of a lot of my uh, life so in terms of when it came to surfing and and growing into that and just loving the ocean and um, you know from 2002 2003 through uh, 2009 uh, I guess with 0209 like I I never missed a swell for surf you know like I would be traveling in New York for work and I would drive home if the waves were going to be good and go back the following oh, week yeah. and finish whatever work I had to do like I was really uh, insanely dedicated to the sport of surfing, and because of my history with running, I—that's just how I stayed fit. So in order to like paddle out on a big day at a beach, it, there's definitely a, a level of fitness required. Um, and I enjoyed, you know, everything I learned through college competition for track and field, uh, and applied it in the weight room to feel better and stronger there. Uh, but I always kind of kept kept my running alive, but it was much more. Uh, personal you know and when it comes to my running even now it's it's much more personal when people want to talk about my running it's like uh, in spite of the fact that my job is you know is, is the public face of a running brand i created it's um, my personal running is is something that still feels pretty personal to me you know it's not uh, it's still just for me you know it's um i use running as a tool to connect and uh inspire through its act and and getting people to see their own power but it my personal, um, when I think about running, it's it's much more just something I've I've now always done and how I like to stay fit. But it's not about um, you know the the way that I consider coaching and that is is never related to my personal running. Yeah, now that you bring it up, but I think about it, you really don't post often or really ever about your own running, which I think is interesting because through your work with Heartbreak and Nike and all that you've done, you're you're pretty well known in Boston and other places. So I feel like people know you as like a running sort of icon in a sense, yet you still don't really focus on yourself, which is... You know, on the one hand, I'm, uh, you know, it's part of the job, I think, is to be on Instagram and talking about yourself and what you're doing. That's just kind of what what you have to do now as a business person. And I I have to say, I was kind of jealous of Jerry Schumacher, where he's completely unavailable, doesn't use Instagram. Uh, and he's also the highest level person in the world, basically, at what he does, right? And I, I think that's so cool. And he's definitely a guy who never makes it about himself. And for me, as raised with coaches, you know, I had um, my high school track coach was also, um, he was my, he was a 
collegiate runner at UMass and um, UMass Amherst. And uh, he was also the soccer coach in my high school. Steve Levine is his name. He's still a um, track and field official, I believe. I saw him at a meet last year. And uh, he was always sort of anti-individual accolades. You know, he, he, when he talked about medals and that kind of thing, he talked about how he didn't display them in his house. I don't know, that kind of affected me in a way that, like, yeah, this isn't about me ever, you know, it's really about the team, and, and even as an athlete, you know, I wanted to win, but it was much more about, it was a, a, a team effort, so when I think back to, like, the little medals I had from uh, States and New England and those kinds of things, like, I, I think I have some, but they're never displayed, so the whole the whole culture of, uh, like, displaying medals and making it about oneself, it's not me, but I like, I like it for other people, but it's definitely not the me do because I think as a coach, you know, the, the goal is to help people exhibit their pride in themselves through through their accomplishments. So that's why I, I like seeing when other people do it now and it and seeing why these races mean so much to them. But for me, my job is not that has nothing to do with helping to get people there, right? Talking about myself is yeah. um and then a running context is just kinda like it's not it's not the point for me. <laughs> yeah. Because you mentioned a little bit, let's talk a little bit about your heartbreak team. So something that strikes me is that the team is such like a very, it's a very diverse group. Like you have really, really fast runners and you have some new runners and of all races and backgrounds. A lot of running groups right now are pretty like polarized with like a certain type of runner. So why do you think it's important to have such like a diverse? I guess I start with just, you know, runners are people, right? Like, um, and, and I, try to use that as, as the starting point. You know, I, like I said, at the beginning, I was a collegiate athlete, you know, I didn't know, I don't think I knew anybody who ran, you know, slower than seven minute pace to go for just a jog, you know, <laughs> for, for a, a while. And because my friends, my best friends were my college teammates. Right. So it's just kind of this little bubble where, you know, you realize that most people don't run that fast ever in their life. Uh, and they can, and their, their running story is, equally valid it's not like you're a very fast runner uh by age 22 and then you stop that somehow you're a more valid runner you know so a lot of people don't even pick up running until much later in life and i just found that in my tight pool of collegiate runners i still have the best friends i made in that experience and when we opened the store uh we got to know so many other runners um and when you open a business uh, you know, it's your responsibility to serve the community that exists, not necessarily create something in your own mold. Or, or you know, maybe ideally when you're creating a brand, you're able to do both. You know, you, you see the need, you fill a need. And uh, I, I really felt like by being exposed to more runners, I got to learn their stories and appreciate a lot of the similarities we share. You know, it doesn't necessarily have to do with how fast you are to understand the struggles. And I, when, when we opened the store, one of the founding principles was to help people get faster. And I knew so many runners who would say, uh, you know, consider themselves diehard runners and they would only run one speed, you know, like they would go for their run and that's it. They didn't know how to do a speed workout. So embedded in the fabric of the store was getting anybody to do speed and um, understanding that anybody can apply a level of excellence to their running and, have it make a difference, have them get better. So uh, it's, it's using running as a, a means of connection uh, and sort of a, a common denominator uh, and then helping people raise their personal bar. You know, I think there's a lot. The 800, I would say, is a virtually useless event, <laughs> even though it's my, my, my personal passion. It's like no one ever asks you 
they ask you, have you run a marathon? How fast can you run a mile, right? Those are the questions mm-hmm. that you get. If you, anyone knows you run from the general public, no one would even know what an 800 is. So um, it felt useless in that respect. But you do learn a lot about speed development and things that can help um, marathoners and, and lots of other runners just uh, by being exposed to the type of training in the 800. So um, what I just found is that, um, you know, treating runners as people, there's there's a lot that's in common, a lot that, that they can learn from each other. And having that perspective as it relates to the team, I think has really opened up and inspired both ends, you know. So we have Johnny Phillips, who's a, it's, I think it's 217 is what he ran at the trial, something like that. But he's very fast. You know, he's the fastest New Englander in the last Boston Marathon. He's the fastest Boston resident in the U.S. Olympic trials. Um, he's a super fast runner, and he's made a lot of, connections with people on the other side of the spectrum who also care a lot about their running and uh, I know he's inspired them to get better and, and helps provide some of those tools and then in turn I know he feels the enthusiasm and love and um, I think burden and, and I mean that in a good way of like wanting to carry the team when he's racing hard you know and, and it's, it's something that inspires him to to race well one of the many things that inspires him certainly there's a lot of personal drive there too but uh and i've seen it both ways where people uh on the slower side just obviously you know the marketing usually works where like the fastest people inspire others but it, I, I think what i've seen in 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 the context of the team is that you know using running as, as strictly a tool and treating athletes like athletes not not um men and women as different or different races as different uh, is, is really just trying to start with the common denominator and use a language that's uh, inclusive and letting people make powerful and meaningful connections with running as the start. So that's, um, it's, it's worked pretty well. It's, it is one of the challenges because I think uh, when you say you're just one simple thing, it's, it's a much easier conversation to say that's what we are, right? But um, when you try to be everything, it can be hard. And we're not trying to be everything. You know, we're just trying to be a place where people who run can have meaningful connections, I think is, is, uh, is probably the, one of the easier ways to say it. You know, I say it's we're, we're, we're brand uh, for people who run and, and, and we keep it that simple. Um, and, uh, you know, one of the other sub things there is like meet every runner where they are with what they need, you know, and that's products, that's expertise, that's speed work, that's uh, community, it's events and uh, it's the studio. It's kind of encompasses everything we are. But those are kind of our two defining pieces. And, and so far, so good. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm proud of the way that we've been able to connect the front runners uh, and, and slower runners and, and getting them to uh, respond to and be inspired by each other's stories. Yeah, I would argue that the breadth of your team and what you you say that you don't do everything, but I would argue that you almost do. And I think that that's probably why, or one of the reasons why you guys are so successful. Um, adding on to that about your success, how do, like, I know, well, it's not that recent anymore, but moving to Chicago, uh, the store, what's that like moving from one store in the South End to three stores here to, is it four stores now total in Chicago as well? Yep, you got it. It's uh, going from one store to two stores was a bit of a nightmare because um, you you only know how to manage one, <laughs> and then you now you have stuff in two places and it's kind of a pain. And back then we had two brands: we had South End Athletic Company and Heartbreak Hill Running Company. We were the first Heartbreak was at Heartbreak. Uh, you know, the first store was called South End Athletic Company, uh, and then so it's 2009 South End Athletic Company, 2012 Heartbreak Hill Running Company opened. 2015, we changed the name of the South End store. 
2016, we opened Cambridge with the studio. So it seems like every time we did something, we didn't even just like do what we knew. We jumped into something we didn't really know, <laughs> which would have been in 2016, the studio. Um, so then we were operating a studio business. And then um, in 2019, we opened in Chicago. And I have to say, you know, everything comes with a, a degree of risk and thought. But um, Chicago, there are some, while it's harder to open far away, you also have to have someone you really trust. Uh, and and you have to be willing to let, let control go and, and let uh, those people flourish. So we have a GM there, Luke, Lucas Larson, and um, the store manager there. Joanna Thomas. They are incredible. <laughs> so in some ways, you know, like I'm here, I can't go drive over there and check it out and say, Hey guys, what's up? You know, it's, I have to trust that they're doing the right thing. They, they make it easy. Thank, thank God. Um, they are just really good and really passionate. I'm, I'm grateful for, for everything they, they've been able to give us. And, and on the one way, on the one to do it, you know, in terms of capital, uh, raising funds and, and trying to do it, you know, we didn't, um, we took on some investment to do it. Uh, we got only 50% of what we had hoped. Uh, but we believed enough in the idea that we just figured, you know, we don't, if this is a good idea, this is a good idea. We're just going to go. And, you know, we were, it seemed like we were weathering that challenge quite well until, uh, you know, then the pandemic hit. So, <laughs> it was, um, you know, that's a, that's a different story, but, uh, in terms of opening Chicago, it was, um, scarier. It was harder from, uh, a brand relationship perspective because, um, what people don't know is that, uh, you know, the running world is not necessarily super happy to have you different places, you know, the, the, from the brand perspective, they like their, alignments and understanding of marketplaces and heartbreaks aspirations are definitely national so we're going to go in other cities where other stores already exist and all kinds of things are, are going on we provide a different perspective in the marketplace and, and we believe strongly in that and um so there were some some challenges on, on that front uh, that didn't exist in boston but um for the most part it's been fairly smooth and, and we're really proud of uh which Elena and Luke have done in the Chicago community, and uh, we're excited to do more there. It's, it's been an awesome experience opening Chicago. What's, like, your proudest moment as either a coach or a business leader, if you could think of one? Um, I mean, from a business perspective, I think um, just opening Chicago was so far, I think, the biggest one. You know, it's a big, it's a big statement to take a step into a new market. Um, you know, one of the things I think we've learned is – uh, people might think you're doing a good job or you know, people have all kinds of opinions of what you do and <laughs> and like what you can do and your limits and going from one market to another with a, in a brick and mortar space when brick and mortar is in probably its most challenging time ever um, was a big risk. But I, I feel very confidently that our investment in the ground in uh, Chicago and the running community and um, that exists in Chicago is the right thing and, and that that leap to me was uh is probably uh one of the things i'm most proud of it's, it's hard to pick one there are so many little moments along yeah, the course. way but um i think maintaining our authentic voice and and just doing the right thing by the people uh with whom we come into contact is is really the thing i'm most proud of is just doing good work and staying focused uh, but in terms of like physical things like getting chicago open and, and having having a new space uh for runners somewhere else that isn't necessarily uh my face and uh the, the, the boston community uh was a 
uh, really satisfying because you know Boston is obviously heavy with me because I'm here and it's, I'm like I'm do a lot of the coaching so it felt really good to to expand it and and feel that they were happy to have us there uh, that the community wanted it and were excited about it um, so that it, that that for me was incredibly satisfying because because it was a different place and, and a big risk and uh, now it just feels like another neighborhood on a brookline or something you know it just feels like another place that I know really yeah. well and that I love and that has familiar faces and uh, to feel the world shrink like that where now Chicago feels like that for me um is is such an honor Would you- from a coach there's not any single coaching thing that i i'm i'm proud of i have to say it's uh that's like a never-ending series <laughs> you know it, it, every time somebody does well and feels like i i helped contribute to that that's that's amazing that's you know it, it happens thankfully i guess I, I'm, I'm very lucky to have a job like that where that that happens fairly regularly somebody uh, learns uh, a new capacity for themselves and a new understanding of what their own capacity is and how much greater it can be. And that that's that's great. There's never, uh, I can't say that there's any one moment at all because it's not a, coaching isn't singular, you know. It's, uh, there's no one athlete or, or one moment, you know. It's, it's the moments like the Boston Marathon where so many athletes come in and say, you know, that, that was amazing. I did, I did way better than I thought. I can't believe, you know, and then, then, then actually that becomes, you know, a couple of days later, it's just the new benchmark and they want to do it better. <laughs> um, so that's, that's always satisfying. And that's, and it's, that's why. Do you think that like you, cause I'm trying to learn kind of how you and the other people that I'm interviewing, like have become like such great business leaders and how you like have the jobs you have because a mix of what every one of you guys does is kind of what I want to do. So would you say that kind of how you grew your business was mostly networking or is it just a bunch of different things or? My perspective is probably a little, a little different. You know, I've never joined a running club that I didn't start. Um, you know, I've never, um, I just, I've never been in a running club other than the heartbreakers. You know, it's like never, um, everything that I've been a, part of uh you know i ran track and then uh started my own thing um after you know working in the surf industry so i uh, it's a little strange in the sense that for me like my job is the job i made myself you know it's not uh, i didn't get it <laughs> um you know that, that comes with its own challenges or i didn't get paid a dime for uh the thing i did full-time for four years you know it's those are sacrifices that you you can choose to make um sometimes it's you know it's it's harder for some people some people it's easier you know some people uh start with uh, a large investment and and can pay themselves well right off the bat and um and build their company as as they want for for me you know i cashed out my retirement i uh, my business partner did the same thing with part of his retirement, not all of it. We, I went through a, was going through a life transition at the time and it moved into the back of the store for four months. And, um, for me, it, it's, it's hard to say, like, it's not really networking. It is the people I meet along the way and making sure that we interact with the world in a, in a positive way, but it's not necessarily with the end goal of anything in particular. It's, it's really just, um, staying true to who we are making, um, strong alliances with, with, people who have similar visions and, and can help each other and, and, uh, and that kind of thing. So it's, it's a little tough being a founder and, and, uh, I didn't necessarily see myself in this position at any point. You know, I was always curious about Nike. I thought they were amazing. I remember working at Quicksilver and 
uh, talking to my friends at City Sports at the time, which doesn't exist, but they were a big, uh, uh, I don't know what you call them, maybe a, a, a small-ish footprint or sporting goods store, and I, I used to sell them Quicksilver, and I remember asking questions about Nike and how they did things with the Boston Marathon, and I just thought it was pretty cool that they became the activation point for or Nike and, and the Boston Marathon, even though it was more from a brand curiosity at that point, the Boston Marathon itself was not something I was super interested in. Um, but I loved the the brand and, and how, how they activated always. So it's kind of like, oh, that's interesting. And now to be in this position where, you know, I have conversations about what that's going to be. I, I lead it in, in Boston and uh, when, when their activations and always you know we have our own activation we work with nike or with morton we work with all the brands been through through the business that i've learned all that but it, I, it was definitely not an aspiration is all i mean it was, yeah. <laughs> so it's kind of it's, it's hard to like give a other in terms of advice as to how to get to where i am it was never something that was planned it just is sort of like the natural progression of yeah. other choices you know so it's um i would just my thing would just be like do what you love and and, and do the right thing and uh keep following that because I what I think is most people don't really have any answers that are useful because <laughs> it's not exactly like what you're going to do um so you just have to be be true to what you're doing and um you know take the advice that that uh that speaks to you and 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 do the best you can and do right by other people is kind of our as my, my, um... You guys have done a great job like organizing everything through all this. Like I've actually noticed that a lot. Like with your like preseason stuff. Like I just want to take a moment to commend that because it's a lot. It's a really stressful time, and I think all the stuff that you're doing is really great. Oh, thanks. Yeah, we try to do. Uh, you know, we're a small company. You know, we have a meeting on Monday with four of us, and uh, the ideas that we come up with are activated. 10 minutes after the meeting, <laughs> you know, it's not a big place. We have to run it through the marketing department, run it through sales, make sure that it goes through legal. You know, it's, uh, that's one of the most satisfying things about, uh, our company is like we come up with something. And for me, it felt like uh, preseason in particular felt like such a, you know, one of the hardest things about coaching is like, well, I'm running this 5k, I'm running this 10k, I'm running this half. Is this workout okay for this? Is this, uh, you know, and it's kind of like when everything got canceled, it for me, it was like, kind of like, great <laughs> now we can all get on the same page and like let's just get really good at the fundamentals uh, so from a coaching perspective uh, i felt like that that was a good opportunity and now i think we're going to be amping that up even more um coming up soon here but um you know we try to find you know i think with a coach you have to work with work with what you know uh, and make adjustments so um yeah i i enjoy preseason and i'm looking forward to the next round yeah so talking about like the stuff you've done, so these interviews with um, Jerry and Colleen and um, I was talking with um, Justin Britton last week and about how in his job you can't really fangirl because it's unprofessional. So I wanted yeah. to know how you, because like when you're interviewing Jerry or Colleen or Shalane or anyone like that, like do you fangirl or are you like over that now because you're a professional or how does, how is that for you? I'm fans of athletes and coaches, but I know that they're people, you know, I've worked, um, you know, with one A-list celebrity as a running coach, you know, on a personal level, two or three runs a week, you know, uh, with this super famous person. And I don't know, I feel like, I guess I'm not really a fan type of person, you know, like I, I like and respect people and, 
Um, but they're just people. They're just flawed yeah. like anyone else, and they're nervous like anyone else. Uh, they perform really well at uh, some of these things that you see publicly, but you know, I'm sure not everything in their life is at this super high performance level. Otherwise, they'd be superheroes, and those don't exist. You know, so I uh, I've had the opportunity to be exposed to um, you know a, a number of famous runners or generally famous people or famous surfers do, and it's kind of um, I don't know. It, in terms of the interviews, it's it's really you know I think if you're fanning out, it's you're not going to get anything interesting. So, yeah. um, you know, from from my perspective, I have a, a real curiosity, and I want um, that I want to have answered for, and I think it's my duty to make sure that Jerry Schumacher is the biggest deal in the world to a lot of people, but to more people, they don't know who the heck he is. <laughs> uh, so, you know, there are more people who don't know who Jerry is than do, for sure. Um, the people who do uh, want to know. And, and I think understanding that that's the nature of the world and making sure that uh, whether you know who Colleen is or not, uh, drawing out what makes Colleen interesting uh, to anybody, I think, is, is, is my goal with, with those types of interviews is being, um, you know, an athlete and seeing myself from the perspective of a former collegiate athlete, I can, you know, walk the walk and understand exactly what they're talking about. Uh, but on the other hand, I know that there are people in the audience who want to understand why are we talking to this person? <laughs> and, um, and making sure that all of those people are respected and, and, and making sure that you don't have to be just a big fan of Colleen to be in this interview, because if you treat it like that, I think it makes it interesting to a much smaller subset of people. And, mm-hmm. and those people can, can find that content other places. So for me, I think uh, the goal with these types of interviews uh, is always um, to respect and understand the different places that an audience might be listening from and uh, making sure that respects that. You know, so similar to the team where it's just an understanding that people have different perspectives. Not everybody is uh, in this track and field world where Jerry's king and <laughs> Colleen is, you know, is up there in the court too. It's, 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 you know, I try to uh, be more democratic about it. So I'm, I'm fans of these people and, and love what they do, but I'm also, you know, the, uh, I'm not really the type to fan out. So yeah. <laughs> I just don't really. You don't like talking about yourself, but my last question is do you have an embarrassing uh, running moment that you want to share? <laughs> uh, well, there was, when I was in high school, I was ranked, I was ranked first in this in the class C state meet for the 800 meters and uh, that got in my head and I remember going out to the to the, uh, to the meet and at that point in my life the 800 felt like basically go out sprinting and then hold on you know so I, I couldn't really tell the difference between my splits real well I would just go out hard and I always knew I was going to die and the only time that didn't happen is if I was running against competition that was a little bit um that I knew I could beat because <laughs> then I could kind of hang back and then kick in and that was that was fine and fun but anyway heading into this meet I just knew okay I need to go out hard I'm gonna see how hard I can go and I went out in like 53 maybe um with the open 400 meter PR of 52 probably you know I probably had a, a 20 meter lead you know at the 400 or even maybe by the 200 I went out so hard and uh like came back and probably what did I mean sixty probably came back in like sixty five sixty six um and just really died 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 it was like not even racing it was just like 
I just went out so hard and died. I was like a non-factor in the race rather than like being smart and measuring myself with my competition. I was just, I don't know what was going on. Like I could have run 144 or something, you know, it was, uh, it was pretty funny. <laughs> it, was, it was humbling. It was like, okay, I can't go out as fast as I want, whatever I want. Uh, and it was a learning, learning that measure, I think came with experience and fitness. It's fun to blow up and, you know, <laughs> learn about racing uh, the hard way and, and have to sit there and it felt like I was running backwards you know guys that I was 20 yards ahead of just cruising by me down the final stretch and uh humbling and uh, thinking back on it it's pretty funny